Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books and Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm really excited to bring you an author that I think has a book that I think is really quite interesting uh, for all of our audience, and hopefully you guys enjoy this as well. We have Dr. Miao. Right. Welcome, everyone, back to another edition of New Books and Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm really excited to bring you an author that I think has a book that I think is really quite interesting uh, for all of our audience, and hopefully you guys enjoy this as well. We have Dr. Miao Li, who is an assistant professor at Shandong University, uh, and she's joining us uh, early over there in the morning and over here in the United States. It's, it's night, so uh, Dr. Li, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And uh, the book we're going to be talking about today is, is her new book, Citizenship, Education, and Migrant Youth in China, Pathways to Urban Underclass. And this was published in 2015 from uh, Rutledge, and uh, this is part of the Research in International Comparative Education series. Uh, Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for agreeing to talk about this uh, wonderful book. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And if you could, I, I think our audience is always curious about how people mm-hmm. uh, are, are able to write the book or what was sort of their path. So you could, can you kind of tell us uh, what got you into education or sort of some of your background? Sure. I'm now, uh, as you know, I'm a faculty member in the Department of Sociology at Shandong University in China. Um, I was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto when writing this book. Before taking the postdoctoral fellowship position, I got my PhD degree on sociology of education from State University of New York at Buffalo. This is why Dr. Ruth Hayhoe from University of Toronto and Dr. Lois Weiss from SUNY Buffalo jointly wrote comments as to support this work. Before going abroad to be um, an international student, I pursued my master's degree in Beijing and spent about half a year to interview and observe migrant children in the outskirts of the city. The effort I made at the time was fully described in my master's thesis in 2008, so that's so long ago. Mm, And from then on, I frequently visit migrant children and their parents and established good relationships with domestic non-governmental organizations providing services for them. Mm -hmm. With these opportunities, I got to know about the severe problem that um, they have. As migrant children, children of poor rural migrants in China due to various kinds of structural constraints, particularly the lingering socialist institution called the household registration system. Well, um, in Chinese, we usually refer to hukou. The children inherit rural residents' status from their rural origin parents and therefore have difficulties entering urban public schools after they migrate from rural countryside to the city. Right, right. Okay. Uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Were you... uh... 
other children attend uh, low-quality migrant schools, and those schools are kind of、uh, established and operated by rural origin people themselves. So many of the schools are illegal, constantly under the fear of being suspended or torn down. So in China, in especially in Beijing right now, it is believed that there are still about 150 illegal migrant schools. And for migrant youth, high schools in China are not open for them, so they have to go back to their rural hometowns if they want to keep themselves on the academic track, and if they want to take the national college entrance examination for college attendance. So I decided to gather voices of migrant youth and understand their schooling experiences in this book because I know for students, not only、um, migrant children in China, but also like. Undocumented children in the United States.、Mm. For all the children, like、uh, from disadvantaged family backgrounds, education perhaps serves as the only way for them to move up the social ladder. So, parents place high hope on their children and on the school education. But many migrant youth feel frustrated about schooling and many dropped out to be. Migrant workers, just like their parents. So all of these facts motivated me to do research, finding out what's going on in their school and how the migrant youth come to understand themselves and their surroundings as a, a ref,、um, consequence of their school education. So in the book,、um, you will see nine chapters in which I describe the findings I have. Right, right.、Uh, so I think you laid it out、uh, quite well.、Uh, the, the sort of、uh, the subject. Can you kind of talk、right. about what what actually is in the book of, of the the interviews and sort of who you were interviewing and and the schools? I know you have、uh, two different schools. You have one、um, Red River Middle School, and then you also have the uh, Green uh, Green Tree School. So,、uh, what how did how did you sort of find these schools, or or how how were you able to make sort of those connections and? If you could、uh, just talk about the style of maybe interview, maybe some、uh, methodol methodology、um, that you were using. Okay,、um, actually, in the inter- introduction part of the book, I、uh, talk about method methodology, like how I approach research participants,、mm-hmm. like the students, their teachers, parents, because I have some. Um, like a good relationship with non-government organizations, so I was able to approach them in a very casual way. I just、uh, go to the school, talk to the principal, and then I was given chance to sit in the classrooms, talking to the students. You know, usually from、um, the things that they are interested in, like the books, the music,、uh, what kind of popular stars they like,、mm. and then we go deeper into their. You know, like、uh, community life and how they look at their education and everything. So I、um, actually I went into two type of schools. One is migrant school, and the other is urban public school. All all of the schools are in Beijing,、mm-hmm. and the migrant school is in outskirts of the city, and、um, the urban public school is located in Haidian District, which is、um, a very Well-known district in the country for excellent education resources. Right. So I kind of、uh, using, you know, like the two schools and the students receiving education in the two schools to make comparison, find out their like similarities and differences in their educational experiences. And also in the introduction, I also talk about 
specifying um, the research questions I have getting the study. Uh, introduced the the organization of the book. Briefly speaking, in the book, I try to open up the black box of their school education to look at how the citizenship identity, which is the key word of the book, mm. um, if, if any, if they have, how the citizenship identity shape identities, um, sorry, how the citizenship education shape identities and behaviors of the migrant youth. Sure. Um, like all of those... Um, because all of the, the people I interviewed and observed are eighth graders in this case. Mm -hmm. So I understand how they look at their surroundings themselves, their re relations with uh, Beijing locals, basically. So I pay special attention to the citizenship education, um, meaning a set of school practices training the students to become citizens. Right, right. Of course, you know that because their rural residency status, both migrant youth and their parents are not perceived as urban citizens. So they are rural citizens residing in the cities mm -hmm. and therefore are not eligible for welfare benefits provided for the urban counterparts. So this, this is pretty much the background, my research yep. topics are situated in. So this is about um, background information. Okay. Sure. Thank you. I think we kind of uh, we kind of already talked about the uh, just the, the very basics of rural urban migration um, in uh -huh. chapter one there. So maybe if we could jump into chapter two and what it means for uh, citizenship education and, and specifically maybe to our listeners that aren't familiar with this sort of uh, the differences with with Chinese version of what citizenship education might look like. Um, can you can you describe maybe that a little bit as well? Sure. In the second chapter, I look into a large body of literature on citizenship education and the state's power um, in constructing youth identities in the Chinese context. Citizenship education or education for citizenship um, is part of moral education curriculum at school in China, which is officially taught and tested. So what I emphasized in the book is not official curriculum knowledge. There are a lot of research, research conducted on, you know, like um, the different the differences between different textbooks over time. But what I emphasized in the book is something called hidden curriculum. Um, the hidden curriculum means a set of school practices try to promote discursive ideals and teacher expectations. So when speaking of um, citizenship identity, in the book, I try to just focus on how the teacher teaches the students using their words or behaviors, how they position students in the larger social context, the social hierarchies. So um, um, I think that the Western scholarship is interested in the notion of identity politics. So I using, I'm using the very notion to guide my investigation in the Chinese context. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I think that uh, that that's really nice to bring over sort of things that that we're doing over maybe in in Western uh, context uh -huh. and, and and putting it in the sort of the Chinese context. If we could right. um, jump into the actual uh, cases, the the two schools, and so in chapter three you talk about the uh, the Green Tree School. So can you kind of give us uh, a little background on on what what was the Green Tree School? If if I'm uh, remembering correctly, this is this is the one that was sort of um, they're like they're almost like a business potentially. Um, can you can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, 
Um, the book uses five chapters from chapter three to chapter seven to describe the school anthropography. The book is basically an uh, is a, a school anthropography. This is the main body of the work. So chapter three and four sort of describe what I found in the two school sites. Um, chapter three begins from the migrant school, which I termed Green Train School.、Mm -hmm. It is located in the outskirts of Beijing, near the Fifth Ring Road. And the title of the chapter is、um, "Chaotic Schooling: Migrant Youth Experiences in Green Train School." This title reflects the negative school atmospheres the migrant children experienced at the time of the study. And their schooling is quite chaotic in the sense that, in this migrant run school, migrant youth frequently receive verbal abuse from teachers,、mm -hmm. and their teachers are not qualified to teach, and most of them quit due to low salaries, sometimes、um, leaving no teachers in the classroom. In this scenario, students give up their studies one day, sense that their teachers had low expectations towards them. Of positioning them as students with low quality in both academic and moral aspects, so it is believed that these qualities are inherited from their worker parents and cultivated in urban ghetto.、Um, and I will continue to talk about chapter four because they kind of、um, sure、uh, talk、yeah. about the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. Chapter four、um, goes on、uh, to present the data collected in. The urban, the, ur the urban public school, which I called Red River Middle School, and the school was regarded as a weak school that was forced by the local government to accommodate migrant youth at the time of the study. This obligatory exception of migrant youth incurred aversions expressed by urban teachers, who used to teach Beijing locals. Before accepting migrant youth, so in order to elevate its public image and to replace migrant youth with Beijing locals in the near future, Red River worked for attracting public attention through promoting a moral education program, merely tailored to urban migrants. It was named the Sunshine Education, meaning bringing to migrant youth a beam of sunshine.、Mm. So,、uh, notably. Urban teachers at Red River positioned similarly as their counterparts in、um, the Green Train Green Train School. They position migrant youth as、um, someone with low qualities who will follow their parents' the footsteps in the in the future to be migrant workers in Beijing. So their stereotypical positioning legitimizes their school practices in which moral education is prioritized. The consequence is that although Red River students were receiving middle school education, but they have virtually been directed to the non-academic track. So the similar thing happened in the two schools. Right. So I think one of the the, the biggest thing, though, and you kind of picked up on it, but I, but if we can keep moving forward in the book, is this、uh -huh. idea that.、Uh, And it's the title of your chapter: "Shaken Faith in Formal Schooling," where the kids are in these schools, and even they can see、uh, sort of the problems with the teachers and sort of how they're being treated.、Um, and and there's also like this in, internalization that it's not necessarily this large system of, of inequities, but it's actually、uh, sort of their own, maybe their own fault or, or something. So, can you kind of talk about just this this how how these students felt or, or got dispirited? So 
um, in this system that's, I think, uh, maybe quite unfair. Yeah. Um, I use Chapter 5 to talk about the consequence of the school education forming the shaken faith of migrant youth in the two schools. Due to various reasons I just talked about, migrant youth gradually lost their interest in studies. So they were bored and got tired of schooling, hoping that someday they can leave school to do migrant work as early as possible. So there are many reasons leading to their negative attitudes towards school education. For example, the chaotic schooling at Green Train and the Maori education program at Red River, uh, which I addressed in chapters three and four. The most striking rationale underlying these school practices and teacher expectations is the human quality discourse. Well, human quality in Chinese is suzhi. So all teachers regarded migrant youth as people with low quality, meaning low suzhi. So this stereotypical positioning is deeply rooted in the universal judgment on the low suzhi or low human qualities of Chinese peasants as a whole. Right. So this discourse is a very important part of public consciousness, which had a strong impact on how the two schools educated migrant youth and whom the schools wanted them to be. So this is short of answering the question about citizenship education right. in the two schools. Right. So. Yeah, and I think I uh, jumped ahead of myself as well, thinking about sort of the, the, the ideology of um, sort of a meritocracy versus mm-hmm. um, education, which uh, I think is important uh, sort of to discuss, especially when we're thinking of China, because there there is always this, I think, expectation that because there's sort of this testing culture, uh, right. it's supposed to level sort of the playing field because everybody has to take the same test. There's no sort of, especially in the Western system where you can sort of, the parents are rich and these kind of things where in, in, in China, they have a test, so it should be equal. But you're showing in our in, in your book that that really isn't the case. Um, the system is completely and dramatically uh, um, stratified. So can you kind of talk about a little bit about that chapter? And I mean, some of the stories you have in here are pretty... Uh, uh, pretty tough, like where the kid's just asking you a question about an English word and another kid says, mm-hmm. he says right. uh, don't, you know, don't even tell him because he can't remember and sort of embarrassed. He did, you know, he forgot and, and you're like, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to still tell him. He's like, see, he doesn't, he doesn't know. It's like the other kids can even, you know, are, are part of the, I think, uh, part of the system as well. So can you kind of talk about that chapter a little bit? Right. Um, chapter six kind of um, talking uh, talk, talks about the issues that you just mentioned, like the testing system and how the how the traditional Chinese culture on the testing and meritocracy have a strong impact on migrant youth. Um, the chapter summarizes the educational experiences of migrant youth who viewed education as a way out. So they firmly believe in the ideology of individual efforts, meaning that they are masters of their lives. So academic excellence could enable them to move up the social ladder from their perspectives and eventually change their destiny. 
So as you know, this is a common belief among Chinese families and the Chinese immigrant families. But I argue in the book that when students believe their hard work would conquer like、um, structural constraints, and at the same time they may attribute their school failures to their lack of efforts. So this mindset will turn structural problems into individual problems, leaving the existing class relations intact. So I think this is very important to to note that the two schools were instilling in the students a ideology of individual efforts. It is hoped that they can solve all the problems by themselves, seeking individual-based solutions. So this is reflected in、um, some traditional Chinese culture, like notions such as self-regulation or self-improvement.、Mm. Right, right.、Um, I, I, I do. I mean, it's it's just kind of an amazing、uh, introspection that you have, and you know, you're talking about the schooling, but then you you go further. And you're talking about well, what happens after these schools? They've already sort of failed these students. Are they going to go on to high school on this academic track? If they do, they、mm-hmm. have to go back to their their home、uh, county, wherever that might be,、um, or just go into the potentially the workforce. Or what? what are, can you talk about some of the options? And you really get into that in、uh, chapter seven, experience the、uh, urban rural dichotomy. Sure. Um, chapter seven、um, tries tries to make the readers get into how the students evaluate their urban lives and、uh, the rural countryside, where they have close relation with, based on their rural residency status. Different from their parents, all of them, about forty mi- migrant youth that I interviewed in 2011, expressed that they wanted to stay with their families in the cities. So they were afraid of、uh, going back by themselves, facing difficulties alone. Therefore, it is high time for I think this it is high time for policymakers in China to safeguard these children's fundamental rights, like rights to education, not making them facing such a hard decision, choosing from living with their family family members in the cities or continuing their academic studies back home. At such a young age, about fourteen or fifteen years old. So the last part of the chapter also look at parent-teacher relationship, because parents and teachers are playing a very important role in educating the migrant youth. So I want to know how the their relationship influences students' decision making, especially about returning or staying. Okay. Little time and energy to interact with the teachers, but they are concerned about their children's education, just like other Chinese parents in general. Right, right.、Um, I guess we're kind of coming、uh, towards the end of the book, and, and it's been a nice overview summary. So, if you could maybe just provide、uh, sort of the final word that you want people to take away from the book,、um, you give us a lot in that last conclusion chapter. And then, if you want to kind of move into the,、uh, you know, who who's this book for? Who, who do you hope reads this book? Who do you hope who the audience is? Okay,、um, I will first talk about the last chapter. The last chapter、um, 
make conclusion about the book with um, with some discussions on citizenship rights, identities, and collective action of the migrant youth, which I think is very important in the Chinese context. Um, I use data from my field work to show that the two schools, the Green Train and the Migrant, um, the Migrant Red School, Red River School, um, the urban public school, all the two schools actually were training the students with the Suji discourse and the ideology of individual efforts. So as a result, the students learn about the knowledge on social hierarchies in which they, their parents and themselves are positioned at the bottom of urban hierarchy because of their low human qualities from the perspectives of their teachers and the Beijing locals. And due to the ideology of individual efforts, um, students kind of um, uh, did not form their something like class consciousness. So they tend to respond to structural arrangement by themselves. This also means that any forms of collective action might not be impossible in this case. And this finding is quite similar with other similar works like um, they talk about the increasing inequalities experienced by Chinese people after economic reforms, but Chinese society is uh, basically stable. Mm -hmm. But we should also pay attention to the identities of migrant youth, because when they confronted with educational inequalities, they express their strong desire to stay in the city with their parents indefinitely. So this contradicts with the current policies that tries to link their rights to education just with their rural countryside, the, the rural hometowns. So in a word, I think there are so many things that we can do as scholars and researchers, and um, every reader can also find out thought-provoking issues in this book. And only by you know exploring these issues in our future work can we definitely help us and other readers to understand education of migrant youth in China um, in a deeper sense. And about the audience of the book, I think the audience of the book could be anyone who comes from any backgrounds and with any levels of familiarity with current issues in China. This book is particularly written for those who are interested in education of rural migrants, class restructuring, social mobility, and um, life chances of rural migrants in the Chinese context. The book actually is a school anthropography, telling stories in the two school sites with in-depth theoretical analysis. So it could be useful for undergraduates and graduates for deepening their understandings of um, what role education plays in the process of class re um, re class reproduction or class restructuring worldwide? Well, I recently noticed that my book was recommended to read among undergraduates at Duke University. Oh, right. So I'm happy huh. to yeah. So I'm happy to know that they think the book helps them know about uh, migrant schools in China and also assisted in their work as volunteer teachers over there. So great things yeah. happening. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I, I even reading it if, if you don't know much about China. It's a, it's certainly a good primer for what's going on, some of those issues. And then I think you also, you know, you mentioned some of these connections that you can see some of these issues happening in countries around the world that maybe they're, they're not too dissimilar from 
uh, from some of these things. Although then there's some of the cases where it's really dissimilar, like Huko and stuff like that. But I think a lot of people find a lot of uh, different useful things from from the book. So um, thank you. For thank that. you so much. Um, mm-hmm. If you could, though, uh, you know, we, I know you just got done with this recently, but uh, what what are you working on next? What's your next uh, project or, or research you're working on? Um, I'm currently working on a new research topic developed from argumentations I made in the book, looking at in what ways and to what extent attitudes and behaviors of the migrant youth change over time from school to work. So it's mainly about checking the life experiences of the migrant youth I interviewed in 2011 for the book, mm-hmm. attempting to know what happened afterward. So um, it's quite exciting to me. And uh, because these migrant youth have either went back to their rural hometowns or migrated to other places with their parents, so I can only keep in touch with about uh, 10 of them. Mm. But still, it's quite intriguing to examine issues like how the school experiences influence their occupational trajectories and perhaps their awareness of rights protection in daily life. Because I know as second generation of migrant workers, it is more likely for migrant youth to become migrant workers, just like their parents. Right. But how they position themselves in larger society and how they relate themselves to Beijing locals and other, you know, other migrant youth as their peers. So all the questions are very important and their answers to these questions might be quite different from their parents. Right. So I think these differences represent some new demands asking for new policy directions, maybe in the future. So I you continue to pay attention to and try to find out answers to these questions in the future and working for um, the better life for migrant youth and their parents and also other rural migrants in general. So. Yeah, fantastic. There's certainly a lot of things changing and in a different environment. Uh, I think every you know every six months there, there's some new new thing that that kind of comes out of China that that it's affects I think this this population. So it's really great that you're following up and continuing that. Uh, so I guess we come to the end of the interview, and I just want to thank uh, Dr. Miao Li. Uh, this is a professor at Shandong University, and I uh, want everyone who's listening right now, um, go check out Citizenship Education and Migrant Youth in China, Pathways to the Urban Underclass, and we have a link on our website. And uh, Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us, and everyone out there, uh, I hope you learned something. <laughs>